Turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. My name is Tim Harris. I'm pastor here at Woodburn Baptist Church. If you're a guest today, welcome to you. God bless you. Welcome to all of you in the overflow. We love you so much. It's exciting to see how God is, is working in our church. Exciting to think about what he's going to do in the future. I promise you something good is bound to happen uh, because the devil is working overtime. He's, he's working so hard against us. And that brings us to our scripture uh, today, Ephesians chapter 6, beginning with verse 10. A year ago today, it was uh, a year ago today that Brett Hightower was wounded in Afghanistan. Can you believe it's been a year? In some ways, it seems like 10 years. Uh, it's been a long year in that regard. But uh, uh, a year ago today, Brett Hightower, serving uh, with the uh, U.S. Uh, military, was wounded in Afghanistan, serving our country. Uh, horrible day for him, horrible day for, uh, for Jan and his family, and for our church. Do you remember how we stopped everything and prayed for him with no real knowledge of of how things would turn out, only our faith uh, and only our prayers to God. Uh, Brett, uh, where'd you go? God bless you. Uh, good to have you with us today. You look so good. Uh, always uh, a sight for sore eyes to me. Uh, always, always proud of you and your service to our country, your courage. God bless you, Brett. Uh, God bless you so much. Um, I admire courage. I admire anybody who can fight because y'all know I'm the, I'm the biggest doofus, biggest wimp. Every lady in this church could whip me. Uh, <laughs> most all the kids could whip me unless I had a head start. That's just me. I lay awake sometimes at night in bed thinking, what if somebody came in to kill me and my family? I think, what would I do? I, I guess I could go ninja on them with, with a sock of pennies or something, but <laughs> I, honestly, I, I just don't know. I, I'm, not, I'm not a fighter. I, I don't get angry. I, I, I just, I, that's just not me. But I want you to understand something that's true for all of us, and it comes from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. We are in a battle, and we all must fight. And while I don't have a habit of fighting human beings anywhere, anytime, I am constantly in a battle and fighting in the most important and serious way. Let me tell you where the strength comes from. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Very, very important scripture. Listen to the word of the Lord as he speaks to your heart today. Paul speaking. I want to read this. I want to remind you, Paul's in prison when he writes the book of Ephesians. He's in chains, which means he's either chained to the wall or most likely chained to a Roman guard. He's chained to a Roman soldier. So as Paul writes this, I imagine he looks over at this dude and just gets inspired. So think about that. Paul is likely chained to a Roman soldier in full armor, and this is how it goes. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. A final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor, the breastplate of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared in addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. And pray for me too. 
Ask God to give me the right words so I can boldly explain God's mysterious plan that the good news is for Jews and Gentiles alike. I'm in chains now, still preaching this message as God's ambassador, so pray that I should keep on speaking boldly for him as I should. Parents were trying to teach their son uh, about all the wonderful things that God had made. So they'd spent the whole day, a son, who made the sky? God made the sky. Who, who made the trees? God made the trees. And on and on, teaching their little one about the wonderful things God had made. Who made the animals? Who made the grass? Uh, who made you? Who made me? God. God made. Sometime in the afternoon, mom walked into the living room and there were toys everywhere. And she said, who made this mess? <laughs> little boy said, God. God made the mess. Interesting. A woman wrote a letter to Dr. James Dobson, focus on the family guy. Uh, wrote a letter, and, and the letter said something like this. She said, um, I was living with my boyfriend. He became violent toward me, abusive. I became pregnant. Why would God want these things to happen to me? Hmm. Interesting. There's a teenager on his way to school. He was talking on his cell phone, opening a package of Pop-Tarts and driving. Ran into the back end of a parked truck. Damaged his car very badly. Insurance rates went up. So mom and dad insist now that he pays for his own insurance. The boy says, dude, why is God so cruel? Do you see the pattern here? Do you see the pattern? Because it's very, very common for people around us, but also for you and me lots of times. We blame God for everything. Anything bad, any of our problems, we always are so quick to blame God and ask, why is God so cruel? Why would God want these things to happen to me? It's very fascinating to me that we are so quick to give God uh, blame for everything. At the same time, we give the devil credit for nothing. Never. N never, it, it seems. Here people say, well, everything happens for a reason, and that is probably true. Everything happens for a reason. But you need to understand that the reason for a lot of things is the devil. The, the, the devil. Paul understands this very, very clearly. And in the clearest words possible, he tries to make it understandable for us. We have an enemy. We have an enemy. He is the devil, Satan, whatever you want to call them, but he's real, and he is our enemy. Scripture says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it to the full. But it's amazing how sometimes when in our lives we experience someone stealing and killing and destroying our lives, we're so quick to blame God. When Scripture says plainly, it is the thief, it is the devil who steals, kills, and destroys from us. It is the devil who wants to ruin your life. It is the devil against whom we are engaged in a very, very serious battle every single day. He is the enemy. Paul says it clearly. Scripture makes it clear. But it's not clear somehow with you and me. We don't live like we have an enemy. As a matter of fact, when something bad happens, we're most likely to act and live and pray as if God were our enemy. Is that not true? It is God against whom we typically complain. It is God against whom people get very, very angry. As a pastor, I visit in the community. I talk to folks, sometimes church members, and people frequently tell me, I am so angry at God. 
Man, I am longing for the day when one of you comes in and says, I am so mad at the devil. I mean, what's wrong with you people? What's wrong with all of us? We get angry at God, the God who only loves us, the God who blesses and protects us and showers his mercy and grace upon us every single day. You're mad at God? We're waiting for the moment when you understand that you should be angry at the devil. It is the enemy who's trying to destroy you, trying to destroy your faith, your marriage, your family, your your teenager. I'm telling you, you do have an enemy. It is the devil. And Paul says this final, final word, very important word in his letter, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. It's very, very clear. There is a battle. It does involve God and the devil, the forces of light and darkness, and we get all caught up in this. But what you need to understand is that everything you need for the battle, God supplies. He is on our side if you're a believer. Put on all of God's armor, and you will be able to stand against all of the strategies of the devil. You have an enemy. The devil is real. The devil is opposing you. He stays up late at night and gets up early in the morning just trying to figure out ways to ruin your life. And you act as if you have no idea. Of course, that's why in many, many cases he's defeating you. Because you're not fighting. You just don't fight. You're not aware of the enemy. You're not aware of the battle. There's a preacher I once heard who was also a veteran of war. He told a story about being in basic training. And he said that his commander came up to him one day in basic training, and all of them were in a ditch, in a trench. The commander came up with the tip of his bayonet, the, the, the pastor said, and said so he came by and he drew a line on every side of every soldier, drew a line on each soldier's left and on each soldier's right. And he said, I want you to look down. There, you have 24 inches. Look at the line to your left. Look at the line to your right. 24 inches. You are responsible For that 24 inches of the battlefield, he said. These 24 inches, these are yours. You defend those 24 inches of the battlefield and we'll have victory. You don't have to worry about everything else out there. You don't have to worry about anybody else. If you will defend, if you will stand on your 24 inches and fight to the death for your 24 inches, we will always have victory. You understand, the commander realized that the battle is personal. It's always personal. And as a matter of fact, the battle is personal for you and for me. We have to stand firm, the scripture says. Because it's a spiritual battle, a very personal battlefield. Your life, your 24 inches, you've got to stand and you've got to defend them. You're not wrestling, and that's the word that Paul uses, wrestling. You're not wrestling. You ever seen a wrestling match? Man, I used to love to watch wrestling with my grandfather. Back in the days, what's his name? Tojo Yamamoto. Did I make that up? I haven't said that in 35 years. Tojo Yamamoto. Wrestling is amazing. In wrestling, you you come face to face with your opponent, and and you're getting your opponent, and and you're grappling. And and wrestling, you get a hold of one another. It's body slam and head rake. It's that sort of thing. Paul says, we're not wrestling. We're not wrestling with our enemy because we are actually doing battle against an unseen enemy, against principalities and powers and authorities and heavenly places. You don't see your enemy. You're not fighting against flesh and blood. Would you 
spread the word because there are an awful lot of people in the world, an awful lot of people in the church who continue to make human beings their enemies. You must never do that. Your enemy is not a person. There may be people that try your patience. There may be people who help you learn to forgive. But I'm telling you, your enemy is not a person. Never will be. Never has been. Your enemy is unseen. And you're not going to wrestle him like that. You're not going to see him face to face. You're never going to get him in a headlock or a head rake. It's a different kind of enemy. A different kind of battle. Spiritual. The battle for your 24 inches, the battle for the ground upon which you must stand is a personal spiritual battle. And that is why it requires spiritual resources. And that's what Paul's talking about. Put on the full armor of God, he says. Put on all of God's armor so that you would be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. We're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers, authorities of the, end of the unseen world. Verse 13, therefore put on. He says, therefore take up every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground. Putting on first. What's it say? First piece of armor is the belt of truth. Y'all going to help me because I don't preach with notes. The belt of truth. Belt of, of truth. Understand in the ancient world, everybody wore dresses. Everybody wore those long, flowing eastern robes. And you can't do much with the dress down to the ground. Am I right, ladies? You just can't run, you can't fight, you can't be active. So if a person was to be active in the ancient world, the first thing they had to do was gird their loins. That's what the Bible says. You had to gird your loins. You had to put on a girdle, so to speak. And this is what the belt of truth is. You would reach down, you would grab that big robe. I'm going to have to gird my cord here. Grab that big robe and you would belt it. Belt that robe so that your legs were free, so that you could run, so that you could be active. The first step is to put on the belt of, the word is, truth. Put on the belt of truth. This is very important because Scripture tells us in every place that the devil is a liar and the father of lies. The devil is a liar and the father of lies. Everything he says is a lie, and, and I promise you, this is his primary way of defeating you. He defeats you with his lies, and he defeats you because you believe his lies. They may be lies, but, but write this down. They may be lies, but a lie that is believed to be true will affect you as if it were true. A lie that you believe to be true will affect you as if it were true. Everything the devil speaks is a lie, and this is his primary way of coming up against you. He's going to lie to you, and unfortunately, in so many cases, you listen to him. Think about your life right now. Think about, if you could, just in your mind, list your top three, maybe your top five problems right now. Think about those, your top five problems. Maybe it's your job, the fear that you're going to lose your job, or maybe some of you already have lost your job and you're looking for work. Maybe that's your number one problem, employment, job. Maybe your problems are financial, the problem of making the bills every month, the issue of supporting yourself, your family. Maybe you have financial problems. 
Maybe your problems are, are relational. Maybe you're single and you're very, very lonesome and so very anxious and worried about being alone for the rest of your life. Maybe they're relational problems. Maybe they're marital problems. You, you don't get along with your spouse. You continue every single day to beat each other's throat in marital problems. Or maybe your problems are with your children, your teenager. Maybe there are those problems in the family. Whatever your problems are, think about those. List them in your mind. How many of those problems do you usually think of as spiritual? How many of your problems do you typically think of as spiritual problems? Understand something. All of your problems are spiritual problems. All of your problems are spiritual problems. So I says, Brother Tim, how do I know if I'm in a spiritual battle? How do I know if I should be fighting some sort of spiritual warfare? I can answer that question for you very, very clearly. You are. You are. Assume that you are. Every moment of your day, understand you are in a spiritual battle. This is part of the devil's lie. He doesn't want you to understand that it's spiritual. He doesn't want you to understand that the reason you and your spouse can't get along is that the two of you are not enough like Christ. You don't have communication problems. You have spiritual problems. It's not that you need to learn some communication skills. You need to learn the patience that the Holy Spirit brings so that you can shut up and listen. Understand? And you need to learn how to forgive like Jesus forgives. Your problems are spiritual problems, always spiritual problems. But the devil doesn't want you to connect those dots. Because if you realize your problems are spiritual, if you recognize that you don't wrestle against flesh and blood enemies, but that your enemy is unseen and always coming at you, when you begin to realize that, you will begin to have some victory. He never wants you to put those things together. He lies. He's always lying to you. And he ties you up in knots this way. Think about right now, that, that voice in your head. You walk into a room, and the voice that says to you, nobody likes you. Some of you struggle with that. You walk into a room of people, coworkers, friends, family, whoever it is, and the first thing in your mind is that feeling of, nobody likes me. People are talking about me. Don't you understand? That's the devil whispering in your ear. That's the devil telling you that. It's a lie. It's the devil's voice that tells you nobody's going to love you. Nobody's ever going to accept you. That's the devil's lie. You don't have any friends at church. That's what the devil tells you. Why are you listening to him? It's the devil that tells you there's no hope for your marriage. It's the devil that tells you there's no hope for your teenager. It is the devil that tells you that you're defeated, that you are down, that you will never get back up. That's the devil's voice. He is a liar, the father of lies, always lying to you. So first, Scripture says, you put on the belt of truth. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The truth is Jesus and you have to learn that it is the truth that sets you free. You're tied up in knots right now. You have all kinds of problems. All of your problems are spiritual. And your primary problem is you don't know how to understand how the devil lies to you. He's a liar. You defeat him by putting on the belt of truth. First, the belt of truth. Second, you put on the breastplate, the body armor of, what's the scripture say? Righteousness, put on the breastplate of righteousness. We talked about righteousness last week as we were talking about Zimbabwe. It's a legal term. It means, first off, to be in right standing. 
And, and truly, Scripture says that outside of Christ, none of us are righteous before God. None of us can stand before God. All of us are sinners. There is none of us righteous, no, not one, the Scriptures say. We don't have righteousness that comes out of us. It's not there. Don't believe the lie when Oprah tells you that everybody is basically good on the inside. She apparently never rode the high school bus. You understand? People are not naturally good on the inside. At least you never rode my school bus. You understand? We are not good on the inside. There is none of us righteous. We don't have that goodness in us. We don't have righteousness in us. But righteousness is something that God gives us. And if we will accept the righteousness that comes from Christ, then we belong to God. Righteousness is our breastplate. It's right standing before God. But once God makes us righteous before him, then we are made able to live a life of righteousness in the world. God is looking and waiting for his people to begin living a righteous life. You and I have to do the right thing. We have to live rightly and always live a life that reflects the, the character of Christ himself, the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate, recognize, it defends all of the body's vital organs. And it is that righteousness that Christ brings that is our main protection, the breastplate of righteousness. Means in every situation you have to stand, the scripture says. In every situation, you have to do the right thing. Notice in the scripture how many times the scripture says that your job is to stand, to stand, to stand firm, to stand, to stand. We fight primarily simply by standing our ground in Christ. What we stand. How do you do that? When should you do that? I'm telling you, you do it every single day of your life if you're going to follow Christ. These battles for righteousness that we, that we fight are within our own 24 inches of battlefield. Don't you understand that? These are the battles you have to face when the devil comes personally to you to bring you down. And he's going to do that through temptation. He's going to do that through your own everyday hurts, habits, and hang-ups. He's going to come after you, and he's always going to challenge you, tempt you not to do the right thing. You have to stand firm. Righteousness is your breastplate. Don't give that up. If you give it up, you're defeated. The other day, uh, this is how the devil works. The other day, I was running at Fillmore Park. And I was finished. It was blistering hot. I went down the hill to the creek. That's how the devil works. I went down the hill to the creek, and I was, I was by myself down there at the creek at, at the bottom of the boat ramp there. And this woman with long black hair swam up out of the water. It's like one of those mermaid movies. <laughs> or it was like that scene from Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? This long, black-haired woman came up out of the water. She was swimming, picking up rocks. She was pretty. Now, understand, I'm a married man, very happily married man, and I am uh, adamant and passionate about my purity for my wife. But this is a situation for temptation. Does everybody understand that? Now, I'm telling you, this was not for me a temptation because I did something very quickly. As soon as I saw her and I recognized the situation I was in, I mentioned my wife five times in one sentence. I'm not kidding. I mentioned my wife five times in one sentence. I said, 
Hi, you know, the other day when my wife was down there, she saw snakes right here, snakes right here. My wife saw snakes. My wife is working, and I think I hear my wife calling now, and I busted it. I busted it back up that hill. I'm not bragging. Guys, this is how you live your life if you really want to be righteous, if you want to be pure. You don't put yourself in a situation of temptation. When the scripture says stand and stand firm, it don't mean stand there when there's a lady with long black hair swimming in the creek. I don't stand there. I got no business there. Standing firm is busting it up the hill and getting back to where I belong. Do you understand that? It's about righteousness. It's about defending the righteousness that Christ has given me. I'm not giving that up. When I give that up, the devil defeats me. Don't you understand? He has no real power over us. My strength is in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord, Paul says. And in his mighty power, my strength comes from him, which means in every one of these battles with the devil, I have victory. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I have victory because I have strength from Christ. The only way the devil can defeat me is if he can talk me into giving up my strength. If he can talk me into giving up what Christ has given me. He cannot defeat you only if you surrender to him. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Every moment of your life, put it on. That righteousness comes from Christ. And then on your feet, the scripture says, put on for your shoes the peace that comes from the gospel. The peace of the good news. Put on your shoes, Paul says. I think that's kind of funny. Remember when the Beverly Hillbillies used to go off? I'm talking to just a particular age of redneck here, but um, remember when the Beverly Hillbillies used to go off? Remember how, how they would say at the end, y'all come back now, you hear? What do you say? Sit a spell, kick your shoes off. Yeah, yeah. Wanted you to kick your shoes off. Yeah. What does that mean when he says, kick your shoes off? Yeah. Relax, take your shoes off. Sit a spell. Yeah. It's the opposite of what Paul is saying when he says, Put on your shoes. Put on your shoes. Put on for your shoes the gospel, the peace that comes from the gospel of Christ. In other words, it is that willingness to talk about Christ, that willingness to share the good news that's going to move you down the road. Put on for your shoes the gospel of Christ, the peace that comes from the good news. It's that willingness to talk about Jesus, that willingness to carry the gospel it's going to get you close enough to use the sword. We get to the sword in just a moment. Put on your shoes the gospel of peace. And then take up, am I right? Y'all got to help me. I'm not using notes. Uh, take up next the shield of faith. Take up your shield of faith for the Roman soldier. The shield was actually an arm piece. It was strapped to his arm. Now, I know if your kid had the Bible man kit that you could buy at the Baptist bookstore, the shield's about as big around as a dinner plate. It's about this big, puts it on his arm. But you need to understand, for the Roman soldier, the shield was about the size of a door, a small door. It's a very large piece of armor that would be strapped to the arm. The shield was enormous, and it was made that way for a very important purpose. Number one, it was big enough to get behind. The whole man could get behind his shield. Not only that, if soldiers stood together, here's a sermon here, if soldiers stood together, they could put their shields together and form what? A wall. There's a sermon there for us. It's another one I can't necessarily preach today, but understand we stand together and form a wall, and nothing can defeat us. 
The shield was made of wood and wrapped in leather, and typically before they would go to war, the Roman soldiers would soak their shields in water. The wood and the leather would soak up water. Why would they do that? Because the enemy typically shot what? Flaming arrows. Have you never watched Gladiator? Have you never watched any of these shows? They would shoot flaming arrows. They would shoot fire. And the arrows would come and they would hit the shield. But because the shield was soaked in water, it would put out the fire. So you take up the shield of faith, Paul says, and then you can extinguish all of the flaming arrows of the enemy. The shield of faith. You've got the belt of truth you got the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes fitted with the gospel piece, the shield of faith, and then the helmet of salvation. At this point, you don't see this in your English translation, but Paul's language changes here. He says in the first place, take up the full armor of God. Take up the belt of truth. Take up the shoes of peace. Take up the shield of faith. But now he says, and receive the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. He, he uses different language, and I think it's important because when you're talking about salvation, it's not in your power to take that up. It's a gift, and only a gift from God. God gives you the gift of salvation. There's not a thing you can do to take it up on your own. Salvation is God's gift. Scripture says that if you're not a Christian, if you're not a believer, if you have never taken up the helmet of salvation as a gift from God, then truly, the Scripture says, you're an enemy of God. It is this helmet of salvation that determines whose side you're on. Salvation is God's perfect, beautiful gift of grace to us. There's nothing you can do to earn it or deserve it. All of us are sinners. None of us are worthy of salvation. God gives it to us as a gift. And Paul says, receive the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is what? Yeah, you shouldn't lose it like I just did. Yeah, which is the Word of God. The sword, your sword, your weapon is the Word of God. In other words, your words, my words, have no power. No power. Whatever you think you've got to say or whatever I think I've got to say, my words cannot rescue or save anybody. My words have no power, but God's word has real power. Do you remember when Satan came to tempt Jesus, when Satan came up against Jesus at the beginning of his ministry, in every single instance, with every attack, how did Jesus answer Satan? With Scripture, with the Word of God, you have to recognize that the Word of God is your sword. The Word of God is your weapon. It is your only power and the only power necessary. There's power in the Word of God. This is your outfit. This is how you dress for battle and recognize everything you need God provides. Every single thing you need for victory in your life, in your spiritual life, God provides it. All you must do is take it up, receive it. And then one more thing, the most important thing. Paul says, get all this on, all of this armor, and then pray. Interesting. Put on all of this armor, then pray. Prayer is the way we fight. Prayer is our warfare. There are no magic words in praying. There are no magic oils, no magic scarves. Simple prayer is our battle. And that is why it's so difficult for you to pray. Because the devil doesn't want you to pray. 
That's why when you say, you know, I'm going to start praying every day. I'm going to start a new habit. I'm going to pray every morning. The devil will make you so sleepy every single morning. He will. Am I lying to you? You know that's true if you've ever tried to pray. It is when you pray that the target really appears upon your back. That is when you come closest to tapping into everything God has for you. When you pray, you become a real threat to the devil and, and his evil kingdom. It is in prayer that we really begin to engage the fight. It's in prayer. Pray in the Spirit, Paul says. In every circumstance, on all occasions, you pray. And you stay alert. You stay vigilant. In other words, the only way to be alert in this spiritual battle is to be praying. If you're not praying, Praying, you're not alert. And if you're not alert, you are a sitting duck for the devil. If you are not a praying Christian, you are a defeated person, a defeated Christian. And the devil is simply waiting to one day absolutely ruin you into the ground. This is what he does. And if you're not praying, if you're not praying in the Spirit on all occasions, as Paul says, then you cannot claim to be engaging this fight, this battle. It is a battle primarily fought on our knees in prayer. Do you pray? If you don't pray, I've got to ask, why don't you pray? Do you really think you don't need God's help? Do you really think you don't need His power? Do you really think you know so much on your own that you don't need God's wisdom? If you think that, or if you are so unaware spiritually that you don't need to pray, I'm telling you, you are already defeated. Already defeated. Pray, Paul said. Stories told about a man who uh, dreamed that he died and, and went to heaven. When he got to heaven, he was amazed at seeing Jesus and seeing Jesus' scars. He dreamed that he saw Jesus in heaven and that Jesus had scars, the scars in his hand, his head, his side. He, he saw Jesus' scars. And he wept and he said, Jesus, thank you for my salvation. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for those scars. And then in his dream, said that Jesus lifted him up and then said, Son, where are your scars? The man looked at Jesus and said, I, I have no scars. And Jesus said to the man, Was there never anything worth fighting for? I'm asking you right now, brother, sister, is there nothing in your life worth fighting for? You don't think that your life in Christ, your righteousness, your peace is, is worth defending, worth fighting for? You really don't think that your marriage is worth fighting for? You care so little for your own moral integrity that you don't fight to keep your own purity, your own righteousness? You don't think these things are worth fighting for? Brothers and sisters, Paul says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. There is a battle. There is a battle and it is ongoing and you have an enemy. You need to give up your being mad at God. You need to give up blaming God for every horrible thing that happens in the world. It is the thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Your enemy is the devil if you belong to Christ and if you take up everything he gives you, your victory against the devil is secure. It, it is assured. It's guaranteed. Jesus has already won the victory. The only way to lose is if you simply refuse to fight. Pray with me.
Oh, Lord Jesus, I pray for the people within the sound of my voice who have a battle raging and don't even seem to know it. God, the devil has told them such lies. The devil has them tied up in knots. The devil has them so lazy and complacent and ignorant of the way he is stealing all of the good things that God would give them in their lives. Oh, Jesus, help us, Lord, to stand and to stand firm and to fight and never, ever to give any ground to the evil one. Lord, let us never, ever give up one bit of our strength that comes from Christ, not one measure of righteousness that comes from Christ, none of our integrity, Lord, none of our hope, our love, our faith. Lord Jesus, help us to receive what you give us and then to stand and to stand firm and to fight and to fight and to fight until you finally, finally, Lord, come and end this whole war. Oh, Lord Jesus, I pray for those in this room today who are so weary from fighting. I pray for those, Lord, who are trying to fight in their own strength without praying, without taking up everything that you give them for the war. Lord Jesus, I pray today that you help us to understand the seriousness of the fight, but the richness of your provision, everything we need for victory. Lord, I pray for those in this house today who need to experience and taste the victory that comes from Christ when we fight in his power. Lord, I pray for those today who feel so defeated, who are believing lies. Lord Jesus, I pray by your truth, you will set us all free today. We pray these things in your holy name. Amen.